going to do things a little differently this morning, church family. I'm going to read God's word before we sing a song of preparation before the sermon. And I'm going to do that because I'd like to just make a few opening comments. And then um, after the song, I'll just begin to preach. And um, for those of you who are visiting with us this morning or those from our congregation that weren't here on um, January the 1st, Pastor Gina preached an excellent sermon on Acts 1, 1 to 11, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised his followers. And it was a teaching sermon where she really opened up the whole Old Testament has two sort of major themes or motifs of the Spirit. One, an inward working that brings righteousness. And then two, sort of an outward kind of clothing or coming upon that gives power. And um, the power is for effective witness to Jesus. Or in the Old Testament, it was for some advance of God's kingdom. So there's these two motifs of the Spirit. And that's really important for us to understand before we enter into today's message on Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, when Jesus from on heaven poured out his Spirit on his church, he wasn't giving them a person that they didn't already have in their hearts. We need to hear that. He was introducing them to a work of the Spirit that was the enabling or empowering work of the Spirit. So I'm not going to reteach that today. Today it's my joy to get to lead us into the church's experience of Pentecost, the church's experience of being clothed with power. And so would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. To 13 is my text, but I'm going to read a little further because um, in the bit after that, Peter gives an initial explanation as to what's happening here. Acts 2. Someone got a page number? 1691. Thank you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled or clothed with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arab? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues amazed and perplexed, 
they asked one another, What does this mean? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's word. Let's um, stand to sing this song. Lord, the scriptures say that in your presence is fullness of joy. And we testify to that. In your presence is peace. There's love. There is forgiveness. There's mercy. There's comfort. There's joy. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for what we receive in your presence. And we long to be carriers of your presence, that wherever we go, others would experience you through us. And so, Lord, we pray that through the preaching of this word, that you would further enable us to bear out your presence in the world, Jesus. Amen. This is a message about power, but it is a message of joy. It is a message of such good news for every child of God. And I want to tell you about that joy by um, starting with a little story of something that happened yesterday morning that was joyful for me. I was anticipating today, I have been for the whole week, and as um, I've been meditating on God's word and receiving his joy, it's just been filling me with it, and I've been praying for us as a church and for our collective witness to who Jesus is. And I felt, I think I'm going to spend Saturday uh, fasting so that I can pray. And so it was my plan to fast. And I woke up Saturday morning to this. We wish you a Merry Christmas. No, Merry Christmas. What was it? Wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We hadn't opened gifts at our house yet. We're a little late. (laughs) And... um, And so there was singing at our bedroom door first thing in the morning, but not just singing. Our kids had spent an hour making a gourmet breakfast for Ann and I, totally unannounced. They they showed up with a stack of pancakes, coffee, orange juice, toast with jam and chocolate sprinkles, eggs, bacon, the whole lot, a tray for each one of us. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you know, it was your plan to fast, but I have a feast for you. And, and, um, and actually, we just spent the day joyfully feasting. We were going to open gifts on Monday, but it worked out for us to do it yesterday. 
and um, I, I don't know what brought me more joy, um, but I think it was the morning from breakfast until we opened gifts, seeing my kids do last-minute scurrying to prepare the gifts that they were so excited to give to Ann and I. And then seeing their delight that when it was their turn to go get a gift from under the tree, they didn't want to go get one that they were going to get. They wanted to get one that they had made to give it to us. There was just this delight in giving gifts. And all day I felt like God was speaking to me and saying, this is the delight I have in giving gifts to my church. I love my church. I died for her. And I love to give good gifts for her. And so this morning we're going to hear about a good gift that Jesus promised his disciples. He said, you're going to witness to me all over the earth. But don't go witnessing until you've received this gift that my father had promised. And Jesus doesn't give just random gifts. He gives gifts that we need. And so why do we need this gift that Jesus promised his disciples, this enabling or clothing with power. And I want to enter into that why by telling you another story, and it's the story of Liu Su. Liu Su is Chinese, and it means 6-4. If you say the words 6-4 to anybody in China, it will strike terror into their hearts. They will know exactly what you're talking about. Because when you say 6-4, you are referencing June the 4th, 1989. And June the 4th, 1989, for those of you who are old enough to remember, is a day that the square in Tiananmen, the center, the capital of Beijing, was filled with thousands and thousands of students that were calling their government and their country to listen to their message. And they were saying, there is a different way for us to live as a nation There is a different way for us to be governed. There is a way that provides freedom for all people. And it's called democracy. And they were bringing this message of freedom. And they were saying, change. Listen to us. Change the way you lead this country. Don't be so oppressive. But bring and allow for freedom. And the government's response to that was to bring the People's Liberation Army down the main street of Beijing, tanks and all, and to open fire with automatic weapons on their own citizens. And at the end of the day, I I debated bringing pictures to put on the PowerPoint, but they were too gruesome. I, I could not stomach them myself. At the end of the day, the hospitals in Beijing were full. There was there was up to five thousand people that were killed and another 10,000 more that were image injured as they opened fire on their own place. And so what the government on their own people. And so what the government did is they absolutely squashed this message of freedom. There are 1.3 billion people in China now, and they all long for a greater degree of freedom, but nobody will gather together and bring that message because There's a reign of terror because Satan, who works his will through fallen human beings given over to his will, worked terror and continues to work fear. And I open with that picture that comes from our generation 
and the one before. Because I believe that that's exactly what the disciples were getting ready to enter into. Some of you will remember the movie Gladiator. And the way in which the Roman emperor who ruled over Israel ruled supreme. And with a flick of his wrist, he could say, you live or you die. He controlled everything. He was worshipped. He was called Lord. And these disciples were commissioned to bring a message into the Roman Empire that said, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's another Lord. It's the Son of God. He's come from heaven to rescue and redeem humanity. He has come with a kingdom from heaven. He's come with power to liberate, to bring freedom, to bring new life. And to everyone who comes to him, he would give the privilege of being called children of God. He would give his very own spirit. He was crucified, dead, buried, raised, ascended, and he reigns. Not Caesar. He reigns. This is the message that Jesus commissioned them to take to the ends of the earth that was ruled by the Roman Empire. And not just the Romans. If that weren't bad enough, there's up to a million Jews in Jerusalem And Jesus has already promised them, you will be flogged in my name. People will think that they're doing a service to God when they kick you out of the temple and they flog you and they kill you. And at this point, they trust Jesus because they know that every single thing Jesus has ever said has come to pass. And so they know that there is suffering coming. They know that there's hardship, and they don't know on what day it is. They don't know whose turn is when. They just know it's coming, it's going to be difficult, and yet Jesus has called us to witness. He has said, you've seen me, you know me, you've been with me from the beginning. You know that I came from God, you know that I am God, you have my message, you know that I'm risen. Go be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And so it's... It's comfy and cozy in that upper room. It's, it's about as comfy and cozy as it is in here this morning. When we are worshiping the Lord, when we are loving each other, there is fullness of love in here. God's Spirit is present and thick, and our hearts are stirred up and encouraged. And in that upper room, they are encouraged. But out there, the prince of this world still rules over the hearts and the minds of many. And there's hostility. And they aren't going to advance God's kingdom and his good news in any strength that they have. And so in God's good mercy, he says, go, but don't go because I'm going to clothe you. And so they wait. And they pray, and they wait, and they pray, and they are gathered together. And Luke records, there came a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Notice he doesn't say it was a violent wind. It was a sound like it. So could you imagine what it would be like to be sitting, gathered, kneeling, whatever it is, and all of a sudden... But your hair's not moving... 
and the windows, if there are any, aren't rattling. There's just a sound. Something's happening. Something's coming. There's an increase of God's presence. And then all of a sudden, as they're drawn into this awe, I just imagine that they're all like looking at each other going, what's that? You know, and that there's this awareness. It's God. They've been worshiping him. It's God. What is it? And then he says there came what seemed to be like tongues, just little Little tongues of fire. Fire came to rest on each one of them. And the Holy Spirit began to give them utterance, or they began to be able to speak. Their mouths were opened, and they began to speak in languages that they didn't even know. And all of a sudden, the sound is so large that a crowd, this is not, they're just hearing it in the upper room, There's a crowd gathering around them going, what is going on in that place? And they begin to gather around them. And the same apostle who said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times, 50 days ago, stands up and he says, people of Jerusalem, Listen to this. And he goes on to speak very boldly. And we didn't read this far, but he says, repent. Repent. He's standing up in front of a crowd of thousands. We're going to hear later 3,000 came to the Lord that day. We don't know how many were there. There were thousands of people. And he says, turn away from your sin and selfish led lives. And he said, goes on to say later on, you killed the Messiah, but God raised him to life. Now listen to me. He doesn't know when he's standing up there if the crowd's going to turn on him. The crowd turns on Paul in Ephesus. Ephesus? No, Athens. Where is it? Anyways, the crowd turns on Paul. <laughs> you know the story. Peter doesn't know. He does not know whether that's his last day on earth. He just knows that he's been called and commissioned and sent to tell the good news of Jesus. And so here he is, emboldened, empowered, anointed to get up and say, this is what's happening. Turn to Jesus. Repent. And because of Peter's obedience, the floodgates come open. 3,000 people are added to that number their day because he had the empowering or the anointing or the strengthening or the enabling or whatever you want to call it, of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just strengthened within to believe and to believe to be righteous. He was empowered for service. He was empowered to speak and preach and proclaim. And because he was empowered, 3,000 people, by the work of the Holy Spirit, responded to his message. And... Those people are saying, uh, what does this mean? What does this mean? And what it means for them and for us and for the world is far more than I can explain from this chair in 10 minutes. But it means at least this. That the confusion 
of Babel, Genesis 11, is undone. Genesis 11, the people of the earth gather together and say, let's make a name for ourselves. And God confuses them and gives them different language and scatters them. Now the languages are not a barrier. Now the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is bringing together one new people of God. This is the beginning of a new creation. It's the genesis of a community of redeemed people purchased by the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Spirit of Jesus, clothed with power for proclaiming to the ends of the earth, our God reigns and he forgives sins. He heals, he delivers, come to him. There is a God who loves you. And Peter explains to them, this is the fulfillment of what the prophets longed for. The prophets longed for a day when not one or two or four or five would be filled and clothed with power, but where all God's people shared in the empowering work of his spirit. God's plan from the beginning is that his whole church, in fact, the whole earth would be filled with his presence. His presence is his spirit. That's his plan. That's where we're going. That's what happens when Jesus returns. And so on the way, the church gets a special role. We are commissioned to be that place on earth that is the fullness of God's spirit. Which means we live out the love of God. We manifest that through forgiveness, through caring relationships, through koinonia or fellowship with each other. But it also means that we're clothed with power from on high for advancing the purposes of God. Because listen to this. As I was reminded by one African speaker, theologian this past week, you don't theologize the devil away. You cannot lecture him away. You must drive him away, and you need power to drive him away. God's kingdom is a kingdom of light, and there is plenty of darkness that needs to be driven out as it advances, and we don't do that in our own strength. We need heavenly wisdom, knowledge from God. We need heavenly authority. We need power for our work. And in fact, God's work has always been accomplished supernaturally. You know this from the Old Testament. From the moment God called Abraham, it was accomplished in God's power. He called a 75-year-old man and said, I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. Didn't give him a son till he was 100 years old and his wife was well past her years. When Paul is writing to the Galatians, he says, the people of God, the work of God has always been supernatural. It's always been by the Spirit. And he points to Abram and he says, this child was born because Abram believed God. Not because he tried hard enough to have a baby. Moses, God calls him, you're going to lead my people. I'm a man of stammering lips and tongue. I can't do it. I'll give you signs. I'll give you power. I'll work through you. Israel, 
trapped with foreign enemies pressing against her. They seek God's face and pray. And the Old Testament tells us on one occasion, an angel of the Lord responds to their prayer with power and slaughters 180,000 Assyrians in the camp. On another occasion, God says, go out and worship. And in faith, they follow this tiny little band of them that, like Peter, could get slaughtered, walks out, not with swords, praising God with a tambourine and just worshiping. We worship Yahweh. We worship the living God. We worship you, Lord, in the face of an army of several hundred thousand. And God throws confusion into the camp of the enemy and they slaughter each other. Gideon, called by the Lord from a small tribe, you're going to be one that I raise up to be a deliverer. Lord, I'm weakest and the smallest. I can't do it. And the Lord leads 200 of them again into a battle. And the Lord wins the battle. Every time God's kingdom advances, every time someone comes to the Lord, every time someone grows in the love of God. It happens because there's power from God making it possible. Power's not the focus. Love is the focus. But we need power. So we sit here this morning and I say, what about us, church? What about us? We, um, we've got that same koinonia The love of God is burning in our hearts. We have deep love for each other. We have wonderful fellowship. We have a beautiful message. And yet we we don't have a Roman army or a Chinese army. We don't have anybody out there that is standing against our message with uh, physical force. And so we don't have any problem sharing the gospel. Actually, it's on our lips all the time. We never stop sharing it, right? Well, actually, let's be honest with ourselves. This past week, Wednesday, um, we had noon prayer in this room, and it was really sweet. Uh, Somebody asked me how my vacation was, and I shared about being with my family, and uh, it's always sweet to be with my family. We played a game called the bowl game. I described it to everyone there. We were laughing together, and then as we entered into prayer uh, and asked God to guide our prayer, Jan Glass had this idea. She said, I've got this idea that we could sort of it's kind of like a game but but not it's this just this um we would just ask the lord to give us um to bring to our mind occasions in scripture where jesus displays compassion and then we would worship jesus for that compassion and so it was like one after another like popcorn popping in the microwave you would have if you were there you would have heard us say jesus thank you for that time that you that you had a woman brought to you caught in the middle of adultery and that you didn't condemn her, but you had compassion for her and you forgave her and you said, go sin no more. And Jesus, thank you for that time where you um, had came upon a, a man, uh, the, the garrison demoniac that was just filled with demons and, and you liberated him. And you set him free and you restored him the image of God because you love him and you sent him as a witness. Jesus, thank you that you don't look on us through the evil that we've allowed into our lives, but you look on us through your mercy. Jesus, thank you that you met people's physical needs. You had compassion when they were hungry and and you fed them. You didn't send them away, but you fed them. Jesus, thank you that um, 
when you went by the pool of Siloam, you saw a man who had been crippled for 38 years, and you had it in your heart to heal him. Lord, you had compassion on that man as he suffered. And so you healed him. And if you were there, you would have heard us just welling and welling. And every time somebody said, thank you, Jesus, and another story, it was like a log put on a fire. And the, and the fire just begins to burn, burn brighter and brighter. And I tell you that when we walked out of that room, we all just wanted to share Jesus. Jesus is so, so beautiful, so wonderful, so incredible. And yet I, I bet you that I can say to a person that, as we got further away from that room, that as we moved into the next day and the day after, that we pulled back from that place of desiring to share or taking opportunities to share. And I want to say to you, why is that? And I want to suggest to you this morning that although there's not a physical army that's resisting the message of freedom in Jesus, that there's a spiritual army and that there's a culture that's bound up in darkness and that there are forces that work upon us and upon our souls to not share, that there's active resistance to us freely sharing. If any one of us found the cure for cancer, if any one of us knew the cure for David Vincent's brother's colon cancer, we would share it gladly and freely, and that message would not be rejected. It would be welcomed, because people want liberation from that, but when you're stuck and bound in sin, a lot of times you don't. Sometimes the Bible says you love it. And so there's active spiritual resistance. And so I would suggest to you that the church has on many occasions come into agreement with the culture steeped in evil to just keep the message to ourselves. We'll celebrate here. But you know what? Don't worry about us. We won't talk to you on the street or in the grocery store um, or anywhere else that might make it uncomfortable, the dentist's office, the doctor's office. Uh, we won't pray for our coworkers. We won't speak to our coworkers about Jesus, especially if it's a Christian place. Sometimes that's the worst. Where have we come into agreement with this idea that the gospel is separate. The message of Jesus as Lord is public truth. Where have we come into agreement in our own hearts and lives that we won't bear out that public truth somewhere, that we won't speak it, that we won't represent it, that we won't freely share it and tell it? Wherever that is, we need power. Because the first thing power does is embolden, equip When the Spirit comes on Peter, he's able to stand up at risk of his life. We don't see the other supernatural gifts that the Bible talks about right here. In 1 Corinthians 14, we hear about messages of wisdom and of knowledge and healing and miracles, all the things we saw in Jesus' ministry. But right here, it's just power to speak. I will not be silent. If I am, the rocks will cry out, Jesus is Lord. So church... We need power. We need emboldening. We need strengthening so that we don't come in here on Sunday morning and say, praise the Lord and worship with all our hearts and enter into silence, somewhere between silent to mostly silent to. Jesus says, if anyone's ashamed of me, 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of him at his coming. We don't want that. You and I aren't not speaking or sharing or telling or testifying because we don't love Jesus. We love him with all our hearts. But we need help. We need all the help that he would give. And here is the good news. He loves to give good gifts. He loves to give good gifts to his church. And so even as Tommy was crying out in family prayer time, Lord, I want to... I want your help in sharing you. The Lord says, yes, yes, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And so the Lord says to each of us this morning, I want to help you in your apartment building. And I'm going to help you, Hazel, keep praying. It's the Holy Spirit who's given you unction to pray for your kids, and I'm going to help you keep praying. And he says to those of us this morning that don't know Jesus too well, I'm going to help you know Jesus so that you love him so much that you want to share him. And so I'm going to stop preaching and we're going to start praying together because the Lord says in his word, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more won't your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he says this, this therefore is the confidence that we have in approaching him. If we ask anything according to his will, We know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that what we have, what we ask for. And so we're going to pray together. We're going to ask, Lord, clothe us with power. And we're not going to tell the Lord what that looks like. They didn't tell him at Pentecost. They just prayed. So we're not going to tell the Lord. We're just going to ask him. And we're just going to be unashamed to lay out our needs. Jesus, we love you. And we want to be more effective, more enabled, more empowered, more courageous, more gifted witnesses to our neighbors, to our families, wherever you send us. Because Jesus in you is life. In you is eternal life and all hope. You are the light of the world. You're the only way to the Father. And we want to share that as we've received it. And so I'm going to invite us all. We're going to all pray, just like family prayer time, from your seat. Use, use your own words. Pray from your heart. If somebody else prays what you want to pray, you think that sounds like my heart too, pray that. Pray it again. Okay? And um, we'll just let the Lord lead us as we pray.